Hello, welcome to episode 11 of the Five Point Move podcast. I'm Tim Hans, founder and senior editor of FivePointMove.com. Uh, with me is my co-host, 1995 world champion, 1996 Olympic silver medalist, Dennis Hall. Dennis, how is uh, how's this week been going so far? It's going great, man. Just uh, living a dream in the wrestling uh, room uh, that my own wrestling room working out with the guy from uh, the army team that moved up here, Michael hooker. And he's uh, got a partner on us uh, uh, from Denmark. Uh, he was a 2008 Olympian and just helping these guys out and, and having a blast doing it. Did you go hunting at all? Yeah. Don't get me going. Didn't okay. see hardly anything. So that kind of sucked, but it is what it is, man. All right, we'll get back to it. Um, this week, it was, we nice, have... it was nice being in the woods. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I bet you scamper up to a tree stand, like, so fast, you know, because, like, shorter people climb better. They can see me. <laughs> yep. I'm quick. Our special guest this week is multi-time world team member, MMA legend, UFC Hall of Famer, Randy, the natural couture. Randy, thank you very much for taking time out of what, what we obviously know is an extremely hectic schedule for you. No problem, man. It's a pleasure to be on. Always a pleasure to talk with you guys and, and get, get to listen to Dennis a little bit, for sure. <laughs> that's why people listen. That's for, that, that I can Thanks. promise. <laughs> oh, and you know what? That I think just a little while ago this came down. Um, it was, uh, I believe the, yeah, it was on. I saw the post about it. Uh, Mr. Couture here uh, gets uh, congratulations because um, he was named uh, the National Wrestling Hall of Fame's 2018 Outstanding American. So uh, I just saw that today. Congratulations, Randy. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's an honor. I'm, I'm, it's going to be fun, a uh, fun weekend in Stillwater, Oklahoma, June 1st and 2nd to, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, it would have been nice to have uh, won a medal and, and gotten on the wall that way. Uh, but, you know, I've been working hard with the veteran community, having been a soldier myself. And, and so to be recognized for that, for that charity work, uh, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and it's a uh... definitely, and it's well deserving. You do a lot for the veterans, and it's uh, it's good to see that it doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was cool to get the call from Leroy and tell me I was going to be uh, being inducted. And in. it's a, I think a pretty cool class. I know uh, Nancy Schultz is is being inducted as well, uh, and there's some some other wrestlers. I, I can't remember the whole list, but. Uh, Siudo. It's a pretty cool class for 2018. Yeah, you got Siudo, nice. Stephen Abbas. Yeah, it's packed. Um, you know, the it doesn't get talked about quite enough because I think, I mean, rightfully, it's just like obviously you're you're associated with, you know, you're associated with the, you know, the big giant MMA career now the movies and just, I mean, you're just like a mainstream kind of star, but it is the work you've done. Like even going back for a while now with, 
with the veterans and supporting the troops. I mean, even after I forget who you beat up, I forget which fight it was, but you had that like uh, what was it that saying? It was um, you know Jesus Christ died for our sins, and um, you know the troops are die, you know whatever. Yeah, that was uh, that was a Vegas fight uh, against Pedro Hizo, and it was right after nine eleven. Um, there was uh, obviously a lot going on at that time. I I started a foundation shortly after that. I've been running a foundation for wounded vets about 10 years now. And it was shortly after that fight that I got the chance to go to Iraq and spend some, some time on the ground with, with some of our soldiers over there. And then the following summer, I, I was in the hospital uh, touring the wards and hanging out at the Fisher house with some of the family members of soldiers that were getting fitted for prosthetics and going through all their surgeries and stuff. So that was kind of the impetus for me to, to want to find a way to get back to these guys, especially these guys in transition that are, that are trying to make their way back to being civilians and living like normal people again, uh, which is no easy task. No, it's not. And, and, and even when we see, you know, it's funny because like, I mean, that was like a, I mean, they made it into a political thing, you know, last year it was like, you know, the VA and, um, you know, how both candidates talking about, you know, restructuring the VA and how there's veterans waiting for proper health care and stuff. But I mean, a lot of a lot of things wind up getting done because of foundations and people raising money and raising awareness much more so than it seems to uh get accomplished via politics i, don't, I mean at least to me no i i think that's true i think there's a lot of us small small foundations uh, we support each other we help each other out and and then you know kind of linking arms and doing the best that we can we, we have a bigger footprint in, in the community uh and helping as many vets as we can because the, the the fact is, the law, a lot of them fall through the cracks. They, they can't wait four and five months to be seen by a doctor. And uh, even when they see a doctor, a lot of them just want to slap a, an antidepressant or an opiate on board. And, and that leads down a, a path where, you know, 22 of these guys a day are, are killing themselves. It's ridiculous. So trying to do our part to, to turn those numbers around and help as many of these guys and gals as we can. No, it's terrific. I mean, it's, it's no, God's that's work. great, Randy. Yeah, it's God's work. That's, yep. It's for sure. All right. Now let's crack some, let's crack some Greco stuff open. Okay. That's, that's, that's what's expected. Um, it's a few weeks now at this point. So I wouldn't exactly call it new news. Um, but it's still fresh. And to be honest with you, we're not 110% sure exactly what this is going to look like but obviously i'm referring to you know parterres or forced parterres you know reintroduction if you would into the curriculum for the 2018 campaign that comes uh part and parcel obviously with the changes to passivity hall um we have not really broken this open uh, we have not broken this open with you yet because uh, we had a hiatus from the program. Uh, so what? So before I will ask both of you gentlemen to react to this, okay? You bring both of your, you know, world caliber experience to your opinions. That's fantastic. I'm not trying to elicit a juice head reaction from you all personally. I know, like, I'm not 
doing this to like get your blood pressure. Yeah, no okay. problem. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I will just let me just read it and then you go if you if you have to go you know ballistic go ballistic. I'll start with passivity. Um, now, yep. okay, so this is a stark contrast in a way to how it was employed previously. The first passivity in a match, regardless regardless of which wrestler, the active wrestler receives one point and can choose between standing or parterre wrestling. First passivity of a match, however, cannot be called before two minutes. Okay, so right there, that's... I mean, okay, that's I, I, my, my personal opinion is irrelevant. I mean, that's go shoot. What? That what, seems what, fair. That? That, I mean, hey, that seems fair to me. So two minutes so, have so to go by. You're saying you you're going to let us wrestle. You're going to let us wrestle for two minutes before you make any passivity calls. Uh, so, so if a match is basically scoreless going into into that third minute then the passivities are going to start coming out and a point's going to be given for the first guy that's called for passivity. And you get the choice of force parterre. I absolutely love force parterre, by the way, and I'm glad that they separated the freestyle from the Greco because nobody, you know, everybody wants to see the the sport of Greco-Roman wrestling because guys can pick pick each other up and throw each other. I mean, that's why are we having this podcast and why is it called the five-point move? Because that's what happens when you have forced parterre, and especially with Greco. So I mean, yep. why don't you know that? That I think that's great. I love forced parterre. I'm glad that it's different for freestyle. Uh, I'm glad they finally recognize the big differences between the two sports, uh, and are and are kind of signifying that in, in forced parterre. Um, uh, great. I think it's great letting guys wrestle for two minutes before referees start getting involved in the effect. You know, affecting the outcome of a match early on. Well, yeah, I mean, especially considering when they took it out last year, I remember the first. What was the first? The first domestic event on the schedule was uh, well, not domestic, but on domestic soil was the uh, NYC, and that was their first time they were they were uh, we were breaking out the you know at least for the first time in a while the, without forced parterre, and you saw guys getting verbals. Within like 10, 15 seconds, it was madness. <laughs> like, they didn't know what to do. It's just like, ah, oh, you know what? We'll just start calling them early because, you know, obviously we don't know when to call them in, uh, in the be- to begin with. So I think this works out a lot better because it's, well, al- it's almost like, no, it's like, it's like, what was it like Abu Dhabi grappling? It was like you could, you could, you go for a, what, a certain number of minutes before points even entered into the yeah. equation. It was like, like a 10-minute period before, the, and there was no points. It was only straight submission for 10 minutes. And it was like watching paint dry. None of those guys were going to take a risk <laughs> and, and take, take, you know, try to take any advantage for fear of getting caught in something. I, just, I thought that once there were points involved, guys wrestled harder. They, they, they grappled harder. They, they took more risks because they, they could score points and win the match that way. That's just how I felt about it, and I think letting these guys scrap, let the, let the wrestlers dictate it, let let them settle it. Yeah, I think what, that two I minute mean, mark hanging over your I head. Disagree with what? Yeah, well. F- oh, oops, sorry. Uh, you broke I'm first. Pissed. It's fine. I'm pissed. I know I broke. Sorry. Well, 
you told me there's going to be a point awarded for a passivity. I did. When is Philo going to get their head out of their ass and quit awarding points for passivity? Uh, I, I didn't say it was perfect. A deciding factor in many, many matches. When are they going to get it through their thick skulls that you don't have to give away points, that people will score points if they are forced to? It drives me nuts. It Same shit every freaking time they change the rules. It's it's given referees power to control matches. Randy, you've seen it o- over the years, guaranteed, how they give away points and, and control outcomes in at in Greco. It's it's horrible. Yeah. Whoever makes the rules needs to get together and, and make some smart rules. Get a guy like myself. Get somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. It drives me crazy. Because then it comes down to corruption. It comes down to who's going to pay who to get a call. Sorry, I got fired up, but I don't like nah, it. It's predictable as the sunrise, really. Um. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't think, that, especially for the first pass, I don't think they need to get a point given. Let the guy choose a position yeah. of, you know, of advantage in, in, in the top position in parterre. Chances are he's going to be able to score there. Uh, yep. And then maybe the second, maybe the second passivity against that guy should be a point if the guy's still being blatantly passive. passive. But that's the issue: is that who, who you know these judges and referees can't evaluate who's being passive. It's so subtle, especially in Greco, who's being passive and who's not being passive. That that so to give away a point in that circumstance, I I, I don't know. I kind of agree with Dennis on that. I like the fourth how part there. How many times did we get – sorry, I was just going to say, how many times when we were competing inter- internationally did we get the advantage in, in a referee's call? That's why I'm so adamant about not giving away points. I mean, you've, you've been to the world championships, and you, you've watched a yeah. lot of it. You know, we don't get the calls, you know, and that's no. – if, if it was freestyle, I'd say, yeah, what the hell, give a point, because we're always going to get the points. <laughs> but it's Greco, and they yeah. don't they don't like us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, so the second passivity in a match, is, is that is distributed the same way, except the second passivity of a match cannot be called before four and a half minutes. Um. So it's virtually the it's virtually That's against the same guy, right? Regardless which wrestler. Really? Yep. So yeah. So so the other guy couldn't be I mean that you're giving one guy who just got a point the the chance to skate to to kill another two and a half minutes. Minute and a half essentially the yep. Essentially, yeah. Um and it should, it should, yeah, it should be noted that was one of the that was one of the premier takeaways when um, uh, post Paris, the post Paris press conference, when the nod first brought this up, was that there's two passives, two parterre chances per match. Okay, one guy may have both of them. It's not, it's not automatic. We're gonna flip flop. 
you know, kind of way, kind of the way, like most of the time, the passive points are dished out now, where it's like, you know, whoever gets banged second is probably going to win on criteria two to two, you know? Um, <laughs> so like that, that I think is the wrinkle that people so far have had trouble wrapping their heads around. It's like, okay, you're telling me that there's going to be two parts hair chances and that one guy may have both of them. Like it just doesn't, I don't know. And especially going by the language used for describing how parterre is now forced parterre is going to look, which is as follows. The bottom wrestler must lie on his stomach in the center of the mat. Arms shall be stretched out to the front and legs shall be stretched out to the back. Arms and or legs can't be crossed, obviously. Hands and feet of the bottom wrestler must touch the mat. Bottom wrestler is not allowed to block the top wrestler. The top wrestler is placed sideways of his opponent, placing both of his hands on the back of his opponent without any hesitation after the parterre position is ordered. He must have two knees on the mat. So right away, you know, this takes away false starts, right? I mean... That's the clear, clearest benefit I see right off. It the should be. The bottom wrestler is, the bottom wrestler is always on, already on his stomach. Yep. Flattened out. Wow. And the guy's just got to put his hands on his shoulders. Uh, yeah. I don't mind it. From an offensive standpoint, what do you think? Obviously, we need more offense. We need I more points in this sport. Yeah, so. I think there's going to be a lot of people getting turned. From an offensive and a defensive standpoint, it gives it eliminates that reaction time. And like you said, false start. But that false start can work both ways. You can work for the bottom guy, too. Uh, he can get down and get into a position that allows him to defend easier. Uh, you know, obviously, the top guy can false start and, and get a lock uh, before the, the bottom guy has a chance to react. And, and now he's, you know. He's at a disadvantage already. Uh, I don't know. It, that's interesting. It's intriguing to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's side lift city. I mean, at least watching the European Championships next year. Like, I don't know. I'm pumped up. So, so you have to be on the side. Your hands have to be on the shoulder area, and your knees on the side. Pick a side, or what? You don't, it, don't have a lock, correct? No, you don't have a lock. You're, no lock. There's no lock. It's that not a mandatory lock. He's already, he's already flat. Right. Yeah. You're, it's a touch start like everything else, except that, you know, your opponent's already... The guy's already flat. Yep. Jamming that sternum right into the tarp. <laughs> well, they're going to have to have damn good cores not to get turned. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's but do you make it harder, harder, for, harder for the top guy to get a lock, for sure. But I mean, define blocking. What, what do you mean, no blocking? I'm exactly. not going to reach back and grab his hand. How how are they going to interpret blocking? Blocking with what? Re reaching back and grabbing a guy's hand so he can't lock his hands. Bringing my elbow and my knee together so he can't get in there. What's blocking? What's considered blocking? I like to hear that definition. Me too. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is they updated so much of the language uh, between 
2016 and 2008 and you know 18 and this and this version of the rule book hasn't even been um put um put up publicly yet um you know i uh i'm obviously looking at it but <clears throat> i think i mean just looking at last year scoring was just gigantically down i mean the world championships were a mess you know i think there was like a total of how i i it was something crazy some like insanely ridiculously low number of offensive points scored forget forget the finals or or all 16 semifinals i mean just forget about that just the the two days of greco altogether just i mean you knew this was coming hall like we knew this was coming though because of what happened at the golden grand prix because the golden grand prix last year was a, i mean that was a revelation right away it was like you know, there was, I think, like 85% less tech falls at the 2016 Golden Grand Prix comparative to the year before. Is that because they eliminated force parterre? Yep. I mean, yeah. I'm still, I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, it's just how many of these guys yeah. weren't getting, they weren't getting, they weren't getting their complimentary passes that led to force parterre calls, so. I don't know. I, I'm optimistic, so I see this as like one giant positive. I figured you would I think uh, parade I Rainer on it. I think it's good, but I just I like the force parterre. I think they should be able to to you know give a guy the choice more, not less. <clears throat> you know, you got part yeah, of being yeah. a Greco wrestler is having having good defense, being able to stop a gut exactly. being able to stop a lift. Well, that's what Hall always says. Is like like. Yeah, because like when, like back back some years ago, when it was like you could just get put down, just put him down as much as you want to put him down. I think no, I, I think nobody down, would have a problem. With I that. went down in the Olympics in 1996, I think three or four times in a row against a Korean. Finally, on the fourth time, I think I stepped over him and countered him and and gouged his eyeball with my chin because I was pissed that I was down and I finally won the match. You know, it's it's crazy, you know, so you had to have defense. And, and you know what? Force parterre is a good thing. I just wish they would not give away points. That's my only complaint yeah. and only, uh, you know, I, I just and, you know, Randy, as well as I do, you know, they, there's stuff that goes on at the World Championships and Olympics that shouldn't be going on. And it's based upon trying to win matches because of, of the way the rules are written. Yeah. Now, I don't sucks. like them. I don't like giving yeah. away the points uh, that easy for simply yeah. passivity. And I don't like having it limited to just two times, to, to, you know, four and a half minutes of the match. Yeah. If the guy's being passive, he's being passive. I agree. You should be able to, should be able to call him for that. Don't give him a point. Call him, put him at a disadvantage, make him wrestle, make him defend. I think yeah. that's just the oh. easiest way to. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that again. I just, I mean, if you look just over, I mean, just look, forget the fact that the rules are changed every three months, it seems like. But if you look at the progression of the rule, rule set from, you know, going over the last, you know, 20 some odd years, it just, I don't know, man. It's there's just a like a a weird kind of like it's like sometimes it's very progressive. You know, remember 
you know, remember mandatory, no, not completely mandatory, but remember reverse lift, you know, one minute, 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> 30 seconds, yeah. It's just I don't know if. I mean, the problem is it's. Randy, how did you like the rules in the 90s? Did you have complaints with the rules in the 90s? I mean, I think they changed. I didn't have any complaints in the 90s. Yeah. I liked them. I I thought they were good. It was wrestling. That's, I agree. I think they encouraged encouraged active, aggressive wrestling. And that's what the rules should do is, is encourage active, aggressive wrestling. I agree. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Uh, shouldn't be designed to allow people to stall or allow people to to not be aggressive and active. Well, that's right. It's the amb- ambiguity surrounding oh. the legislation of passivity, though. You know, like I mean, last year when they changed the language uh, in the rule book, and like they, like they enunciated the concept of hooking. You know. Um, which I, I mean, I, I thought was like from, uh, you know, I, I guess a marketing context for UWW, I thought that was very good because it gave, I think, you know, some of the more casual type of fans, especially here in the U S where Greco is, um, obviously perceived differently. It gave them like a, a little bit of a better understanding, like, okay, hooking, you know, underhooks, overhooks, using hooks hooking offensively, um, so on and so forth. But there's still that subjective, that subjective kind of nature to it, you know, where some guys, some officials are seeing things differently. I'm, I have had multiple discussions about Robbie Smith over the last few years. It's like Robbie Smith, and it's not it's not a bias. This is not American bias on my part. Certainly, I mean, if anything, I would if it were, I would just not even mention it. But um, you know, Robbie is obviously not a very tall heavyweight, and a lot of times he's going up against you know these monsters who are a few inches uh, taller, and he's way, he's always digging in. He's always digging in. He's always trying to control every tie he can. But he's also what, like barely six feet if he is. And so his head winds up being down around the chest, around, you know, the the neckline, even on some guys. And he gets banged for passive because his head's down. It's nonsense. Like, that's nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, you have to look at the sum of all parts before you make a call, especially at the you know highest reaches of the sport. And I think that's one of the problems, specifically with passivity anyway. I think we just we need to find rules. I mean, I, I kind of like the rules a couple of years ago. They they were pretty good. They seemed to encourage, uh, you know, active aggressive wrestling. There was still some forced parterre. Uh, you weren't giving away points uh, without some pretty pretty blatant passivity. Um, but we we did we never seemed to get to settle on some rules and. How do we keep fans when we've got to constantly re-educate them about the interpretation of the rules? And you know, even as an athlete, I, I constantly agree. have to adjust my training and adjust the minutia of the letter of the law now, and then it changes every year. It's hard. It's hard to keep up with. It is, and it's it's difficult. 
it's difficult. It's one of the, and I know Hall says this a lot, but this is certainly one of the challenges. Um, it's not the only challenge, but it's one of the premier challenges in this country for this style is that let's say the, the, you know, quote unquote, you know, I don't want to say disaffected, but um, casual, you know, college folk style wrestling fan who's only going to watch the international styles, especially Greco, once a year, and that's when the worlds pop around. You know, that's their chief complaint. I mean, that is their chief complaint every year. You know, when the worlds come around, it's like, ah, what are the rules this year? I don't even get this. You know, Spencer Mango, remember Hall when Spencer was on? And he was like, yes, you know, his mom's been to like how many of his how many of events of his and she was like ah, I don't I don't really I don't even know what the rules are this time, you know that's that's <laughs> that's not how you build a fan base. <laughs> that that's a problem. I mean, in the MMA world, in the MMA world, you know, do they change rules? And if they do, I I guarantee the rules are just very minor. You know, I mean, could well, you they, talk they, about they that, Randy? Uh, when we started, Dennis, when we were doing it back in, in the, you know, 96, 97, yeah. uh, it seemed like every single show there was new rule. And, and the thing about that was yeah. they didn't tell us about the new rule until we showed up at, at the event for the competition. It was like, would have been nice to notice during training camp to make the adjustment I need to make <laughs> for the fact that now I can't headbutt or now I, you know, I can't, yeah. this guy can knee me in the head or whatever. Let me know what the rules are ahead of time yeah. so I can incorporate it into my training and my game plan. So, but that was early on. Now, you know, since since 99, I think we've had the unified rules. And the unified rules haven't really been updated much uh, for quite some time. And now in the last two years, I've been part of a rules committee appointed by the ABC, the Association of Boxing Commissions, to look at and try to update and, and and keep the rules up with the sport as the sport has evolved. You know, there, there were just some silly rules on the books that didn't make a lot of sense, like kidney kicks and, st- you know, stupid things like that that, that, that just aren't yeah. effective fighting anyway. Uh, and so I've been kind of part of that rules committee that, that as – and there's, we're all, all athletes and doctors, basically, on that committee. Uh, so we're, you know, obviously taking fighter safety – into the number one priority position, but at the same time, wanting our sport to continue to evolve, be exciting for the fans, and and you know progressive for the fighters as well. So uh, we have implemented some new rules and kind of eliminated some old rules that didn't make a lot of sense in the last year or two. But in the, that's the first time that the rules have really been changed or altered since the unified rules came on the scene. Uh, back in 99 uh, with the New Jersey Athletic Commission kind of implementing unified rules. Yeah, BC. Well, that's good. I mean, I, and, and I'd expect that out of a sport that's that's a high-profile right. sport. Well, no, you but know, no. It, 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 but don't nice say high-profile. No, but it's not even about being high-profile, Halt. Like, look at what he said. It's who's on this? Who, who's No, but who's on who's, – who is on this uh, council – with Randy, he said, "Doctors uh, and I former heard. athletes yep. and athletes and whomever else." Former athletes, right? Yep. Who's making the rules for Greco? <laughs> no <Good> clue. Question. <laughs> <laughs> Good question, <laughs> guys. Let's smoke a lot of dope. I think I don't know. 
I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe maybe it's I referee. always care about it. referees are, are the officials. Are the officials the ones that are weighing in on on that and what they're seeing? Who is making that call and who's on these committees that decide these rules need to be changed? I get breaking down the statistics and who scored with what moves and and all that in the world championship. I I think in hopefully in the essence of encouraging more scoring, encouraging more active wrestling. You, you maybe tweak rules and, and make things not only better for the fans, but but uh, understandable. Um, but I, I don't think that's being what's considered. At least that's not how it seems. It's like they overhaul them every two, every couple years, and it's just trying to create more scorn, you know. And reality is, is you know, you got to create scorn by putting it down. You know what? Put Put incentives down where, you know, at the world championship, what what does feel, uh, you know, pay a world champion? What do they pay? Do they pay anything? No, they don't pay pay guys to win a world championship. You know what? They have money to do that type of stuff. Why don't they put some money on the line? You know, why do you think the UFC is so damn exciting? Because guys are getting paid and they're getting after it because they want to win money. You know, yeah. well, I that's think just in my some take. ways MMA, you know, part, MMA, part has of become, the MMA has become the professional outlet for, for world-class wrestlers, for collegiate and world-class Olympic-class wrestlers. That we're, we in MMA are now the professional agree. outlet for that. I mean, obviously, yeah. that is, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a gigantic part of your life, a gigantic part of your career. But is there anything unfortunate about that to you? Unfortunate about what? About the fact that at least the specific, I mean, I think this is more of an American Guys. problem than anything else, right? But we can't hold on to, you know, we're losing very good, you know, prospects, very good, you know, high, highly talented wrestlers who are, I mean, they're not at the end of their careers now. These aren't guys who are crossing over to MMA at, you know, 32 years old, they're, we're losing guys now in their, you know, early 20s, mid 20s before they've even gone through an entire quad, you know, like I just sometimes I wonder if we're losing, if we're the, I mean, it wouldn't be MMA's fault. It would be wrestling's fault. I mean, you know, however you want to, I mean, the fact that we have the only country in the world that's not a state sponsored program that probably plays into it too. But I mean, just sometimes I think about it. It's like, well, we can't even hold a lot of our best talent anymore. You know, we're just seeing them move on to yeah. MMA. Well, I mean, that's that's an interesting point. And, you know, at some point, you're in your 20s, you're out of college now, you've got a degree. If, if you're not going to go work your job, it, it's, a, it's a huge expense. It's a huge burden on your family, if you have a family, to to pursue the Olympic dream. And uh, and I think For that's sure. where maybe what you're talking about, what we're, where we're falling short. So why not take those skills I've spent my life developing on the mat and walk out into a mixed martial arts cage and, and get and you know get paid, make a living. Um, certainly for me, for I started fighting in '97. I didn't retire from wrestling in 2000, but that was that was certainly my my mindset. And in walking into MMA wasn't that I was all. I mean, sure I was intrigued by the sport, uh, but ultimately my goal was still to make the 2000 Olympic team after coming up short in in '92 and '96, and. I was making $25,000 a year as the assistant wrestling coach at Oregon State. Now, that kept me on the mat and kept my family, you know, 
taken care of okay, but it certainly we weren't living high on the hog. You know, my first UFC, they, they paid me almost that much uh, for the very first fight. And, and that allowed me to train then year-round and not have to wear all the hats that a, that a wrestling coach uh, wears. Allowed me to go on more more tours in Greco. And, and you know, yeah, I had to juggle both balls. I had to, had to train for a fight and, and my wrestling took a sideline and, you know, training for the nationals of the world team trials, then, then fighting and fight training took a sideline, but they were similar enough that at least I was being active and making money. See, that is, yeah, that, I mean, that's the only way to really kind of, uh, I, <clears throat> that's the only really way to see it. I think, yeah, I think it even translates now. And that was 20 years ago when you made your debut, you know, it's the, I mean, that's the landscape hasn't changed all that much in, and on this side of the fence, I can tell you, I mean, I, obviously there's been tons of changes in mixed martial arts. There's not, being an American Greco-Roman wrestler, I, I don't think has probably, I don't think it's really gone through, you know, really underwent that many changes. Do you haul? Like, I mean, just the same struggles. I mean, how many guys do you, do we know who, you know, it's like they can't even, who's going to the Hungarian Grand Prix, who can fund this, who can fund that? Yeah, I mean it's it's a struggle every day, and and to be successful, you know, I I got a guy training with me right now, Michael Hooker, uh, wrestles for the Army program, um, trying to get him on orders through the Army, and be allowed to train up here with me. I want to get him training partners from overseas, and and that all costs money, you know. And right now yep. he's he's not in the top three, so. You know, right now he's putting in uh, six hours a day or eight hours a day. I don't remember, but it's like a, it's a job where he gets paid a hundred bucks a day or whatever. So um, he's doing okay that way, but it sucks. It's it's hard as hell for these guys that that are trying to become the best in the in the United States and the best in the world. And you know what? It takes resources, and and that's what we lack in the United States when it comes. Uh, to a Greco-Roman wrestling, you know, freestyle wrestlers, they got a lot of options. They can wrestle for their clubs. They can wrestle for, you know, uh, sponsored clubs in the United States. We Greco, there's hardly any clubs that sponsor. We we don't have that much professional coaching for Greco at, at a high level. It's hard to find any uh, coaches sure. with real professional experience. That's why you've got a guy like Hooker up there with you, Dennis, because you, you've been there. You've been a medalist and a world champion. So why wouldn't he go there and Thanks, try and Randy. learn from you and, and figure out what, you know, figure out what what he needs to do to get get you know to to achieve those same things? There aren't a lot of people out there. We're up against it in Greco for sure. Freestyle is closely enough. There, there's a you know a ton of college coaches in every college and high school program across the country that. Have competed in freestyle and it's similar enough to collegiate style uh, th- that it's an easy transition. Greco, we don't we don't seem to be attracting those young men from the junior high and high schools. Uh, you know, the top one or two guys are, are, are uh, have aspirations of being on the freestyle team instead of the Greco team, and that's something we need to change. But we need high level coaches. We need to, you know, I. I that's one of the things that fighting allowed me to do. Right now, Randy, I'm in '97. Yeah. Was bring Sergey Liston from Belarus, who was a silver medalist in Atlanta in '96, 
bring him over as a training partner for, for three months and, and stay with me. I could afford to pay him because of, because of fight money. Yeah, it wasn't because USA Wrestling was helping me out or, or anybody else. I mean, Sunkissed Kids was great, but, but you know, there was only so much they could do. We, we were lucky and felt lucky to have a coach, a staff coach like Anatoly for, you know, for Sunkissed yeah. with our club. But, you know, uh, fi- fighting and, and competing in MMA allowed me to bring over, you know, a top-level guy and try to learn from him and become a better Greco-Roman wrestler to make that 2000 team. Do you think that's one of the... No, I agree. Do you think that... What do you think is the bigger problem? Okay, because, I mean, Hall, Hall and I go over this, you know, at least, you know, cyclically on this podcast, but what do you? what is the biggest problem, if there's a biggest? Is it the lack of coaching or the lack of participation? I mean, maybe it's a chicken or the egg kind of thing at this point, but, I mean, everybody has their own answer for this. Well, I, yeah, I know. I think you're right. There is a chicken and an egg thing, but I think, you know, Coach Lindland has this work cut out for him attracting those high-level collegiate athletes, the, the, the number two, number three, number four, or even the number five-ranked guy at the NCAA level, attracting him to instead of, you know, try and make that freestyle team to commit to Greco and, and uh, you know, get into the camps, get in with our national coaching staff, uh, create more of those universities that have high-level Greco coaches. We have, we have them out there. There are, yeah, they're not as plentiful as they are in the freestyle world, but we have them out there. But they're, you know, they're like you, Dennis, doing your thing there in your in your little gym in Wisconsin, and you know that's not funded by anybody. That's you know, fortunately, oh. Hooker's got got army, you know, army I mean, money that's supporting him a little bit and supporting his family. So yeah, I think you create those centers uh, that that have some high level professional coaching, and you start attracting those guys that, that are never going to be the number one guy in the, in the freestyle lineup uh, and turn them on to Greco, give them some incentive, give them, you know, some, some, a stipend, something to keep them focused and allow them to go either bring in uh, high level European partners or go to Europe and spend some time in Europe. Why was Henderson able to make two Olympic teams? Because, the Jets could afford to send him to Russia for a month Russia. at a time to train with the <laughs> Russians. Uh, and he came yep. back here and, and, and did very, very well on the U.S. stage to make two of our teams. Uh, you know, it, it's not rocket science. Yeah. If you want to be the best at something, you got to go hang out with and bang heads with the best. For sure. Okay, well... What is what is your preferences? No, 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 no. I was just about to go there. Thank you, thank you. No, because he just no. That's not even that's not even what he said. Okay, well, wait a minute. All right, if you want to settle anything, then at least at least give him the proper information before you you appropriate what he said. Okay. What? Here's He's spot on, man. He's I'm not disagreeing. On. I'm not disagreeing, but uh, okay. Well, what is the preference here? Is the preference to go overseas, camp, competition, camp? Maybe you bookend it that way. Uh, tournament, camp, tournament. Okay, or bring guys over. Which is the 
No, I, I think was bring guys over. Yes, in my opinion, bringing guys over, they want to come over here anyway. You know, exactly. we've all been to the facilities. We've been to those those. Not that they're not fun to go they to suck. for a little while, but <laughs> those guys want to. So we create. If you create a university greco program, you pick five or six universities across our country in some of our higher, you know, higher populated wrestling states. You create staff greco positions for those guys. Use the college program and facilities that are already in place. And you incentivize these younger athletes to go to those places and wrestle. They can still get their degree and still compete, in, even in collegiate wrestling. Greco only helps my college wrestling, but at the end yeah. of the day, I'm getting professional Greco coaching. Those then fund and bring over some of those high-level training partners where you can pick their brain and train with them on a daily basis, learn the tactics and the technique, and get up to speed. So that when you walk on that international stage, you're not getting your ass handed to you. You're not behind the eight ball trying to play catch up. I watched 10 year old kids in Sweden execute technique I had never fucking seen before. <laughs> I had never been exposed to. So, exactly. Yeah, they need to go on tours. <laughs> it's they need to go on tours and, and experience those foreign countries and experience those places. Number one, because it's going to show them just how freaking great we have it here in the states and number two those are the places they're going to have to go to win those medals anyway but if you got a family if you got a home life and you don't want to live in europe you, you want to be at home you want to be somewhere close to home close to your family yeah close to I that support system do okay oh so that's, that's my fair. feeling uh what about rate of no, competition I, I, no I, I, wait I, no let him let him no let him answer this. What about rates of competition? For okay. instance, you know, um, there are some guys who are trying to constantly get as many events in as they as 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 is reasonable. Okay, that you know whether that's you know spending three weeks in one country that you know and just driving to a couple of other tournaments. You're staying in Scandinavia. That's fine. You can hit. You know, there's two tournaments usually in Finland back to back. You know, whatever it is, okay, getting in as many matches as as you can. Some some athletes whom I happen to, you know, and I talk to athletes virtually every single day of the week, will want to do that. That's what they would prefer. They're not. They it doesn't work out that way. Um, I'm a proponent of that. I'm always like, ah, you know, maybe this guy should get over a little bit more. Maybe. And Hall believes in something very different. He believes in training cycles and then you go overseas and test another training cycle training block and then is that am i am i wording this correctly three months at a time three months at a time well i think you can do both things i think i did both things i think we did a winter training camp and a winter exactly. training cycle to get ready for the international tour and the international tour was based on your rank and where you were so you know the number one ranked guy got got first choice of where he was going to go and what tournament he was going to go to sometimes i went to three i, I was already in europe yeah. so i was going to get the most bang for my buck so i'd start in sweden wrestle there go to bulgaria wrestle in the petrov come back to finland and wrestle in the in the Kobolten cup and get three tournaments three class a tournaments in three weekends uh, and then come back. That was after a, a block of training where I, 
I was getting up to speed, getting in shape. So that when I walked over there, you know, when I ended up over there, I was at least in shape enough to compete and, and, and learn from, from that international experience. Um, so, so I, and I think that's kind of the best of both worlds of what both of you are talking about. Yeah, I'm calling uh, this a win. So I don't know that there's, there, there's not a, you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. I think both things work out. Uh, you do as much but as you right can. But right now, I think get, we're you know, competing too much internationally. How? I think we're. But every yeah, but the criticism is always the feel. Oh, we don't have the feel. We we don't have. I mean, how is that too much? Okay. When we're gone, and then uh, within one month, we're back on the road traveling again, and we haven't made any adjustments, and we go on one, and we waste thousands of dollars on those trips. I think it's waste of money. You know what? Get your ass back home, get in the gym, and figure out what the hell you're doing wrong. That's my problem. So you think... You can't go overseas. How many of our guys have went overseas and spent two, $3,000 for one match? Wow, that was a great deal. Holy balls. I wish I could do it my whole life. Yeah, but they're no, usually it's getting stupid. It's a waste. But you're justifying the expenditure by, by via the camp, not the tournament. How many guys no. are training their balls off in between? Randy, you know as well as I do. In between on those uh, those camps, it, it's like you're getting ready, you're making weight, you ain't resting your balls off. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah. No, At least I that's the way it was pretty we were going. Yeah, I think that's that. I mean, that, that that was pretty accurate as far as I could see. Unless you were in a place where, you know, like the Jets had a program with Chandler running it in Minnesota, or you know, even it's even with Sunkiss, we you know we had camp getting ready for the Nationals. We'd go down there for a couple of weeks yeah. and get coached, you know, coached up and have training partners and all that. Otherwise. You know, I was home. I was by myself. I was wrestling with my college kids or wrestling with whoever I could Shanghai and make wrestle, you know, wrestle me and Greco. <laughs> um, I, I was doing my best to stay in as good a shape as I could without the infrastructure and, and, and coaching. I was doing it on my own. I coached myself. I watched film. I, I tried to make adjustments. And I was fortunate enough to have guys like Dan Henderson and Matt Lindlin that, were from my area or were willing to come up and stay with me for three months. And then I would go down and stay in California with Dan for three months and, and beat the piss out of each other. That's yeah, exactly. That's, that's what helped both you two out, you know, is having a partners uh, going back and forth, you know, and that that's part of the problem though. You know what? You didn't travel, you know, to tournaments after tournament after tournament, you guys would make those adjustments. You, you'd go back and you'd work for two, three months. You heard them just talk about the two, three month training cycles. And that is what we're missing right now. Yeah. I think you have to have a plan and it needs to be periodized. There needs to be some fitness and, and technical training in there and then get, go, go try test yourself. Go you know, test. I remember going to the world cup. Yep. You know, we went to the World Championships, the World Cup. Then we trained for a couple of weeks in Moscow and went to the to 
Nova Sibirsk for the Corellan Cup. I mean, I was in Europe for six weeks on that. You know, I don't know how much better I got during that time frame, but I certainly got my ass kicked a few times. Ah, you are you satisfied? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. It's nice talking about this. I'm just I mean, saying, it, 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 I don't see how matches are bad. It's a struggle of a Greco-Roman wrestler in the United States. Nope. Matches aren't bad, but when when you're paying, you know, two to three thousand dollars for one or two matches in a two-week trip, one and done. That money could be spent exactly. That money could get you a foreign training partner to live in your home state for three months and beat your ass every single day. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's well, what I did. Some, I got my ass kicked many times, man. I, I mean, I had uh, Mario Alvarez, world champion from Cuba. He came up. I didn't score a point on him for a month straight. I had Ivan Ivanov, who, you know, is living in the United States right now, world silver medalist. I remember when he'd come over. I wouldn't score points on him after a month. We're even, you know. It. I brought over guys that were going to make me better, and, and that's the problem. We need to have guys that aren't afraid to get their ass kicked and 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 learn. And, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I did the same thing. Is we, we, I did the same thing with I did the same thing with Sergey, and you know Kazuhiro Hamanaka, the Japanese kid that made the Olympic team. Uh, I, I brought them over, and and you know. Paid their way, trained. I had a, a built-in training partner, and I don't think I scored on Sergey the entire time he was in in the U.S. But my part there defense got way better. I wasn't going to get lifted. Exactly, <laughs> for sure. No, that's, that's what you always say, Paul. Yeah. You always that. What is that? That's the, you, the you that is your that's your tagline. You, you need to bring him over to defend the lift. Exactly, to defend parterre. If you don't, we'll get eaten alive. I mean, that's why with the parterre coming back, we better start bringing guys over more because it's a timing thing. Randy, you agree with me when I say that, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw the wisdom in it and I had to do it. I spent the money and brought guys over. Yep. Hopefully the young bucks are listening. That's all I could say. You know. Well, hopefully the young bucks are, uh, you know, I would think um, either in within arm's reach or soon enough will be of gathering the resources necessary to explore that as an option. You know, it's certainly not uniform. Some guys have better situations than others. At least, so certainly currently. All right, let's transition into the final round of questions. Hall, um, I'll ask. I, I obviously have guideline, you know, uh, guided topics, but I always uh, look forward to your follow-ups, as as you as you well know. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you see this? Um, 
you don't see this as a negative negative necessarily though right i mean just because the i mean the program's obviously rebounding i mean there there are there i mean the talent coming up the that is even that right now we have cadets that are better than any i think than we've had in you know probably maybe ever just generationally speaking i mean we have extraordinarily talented cadets and juniors you know i don't i mean obviously it's my thing to push the sport and to write about this sport and to document this sport so um it's easy for me to be i think um optimistic to have you know what someone might call rose-colored glasses but i also watch more international wrestling and pay attention to more international wrestling uh than i do domestic as it is so it's not coming from an ignorant place like i see what else is out there it doesn't seem like we're that far behind the eight ball anymore Yeah, oh man. Yeah, we're behind eight ball. I can tell you that. Technically, we're behind eight ball. You bring Parterre back, that just sent us back another year. You know, I mean, we got it. We our guys got to concentrate right now on Parterre defense because you know what? When we get to the World Championships, we we might be going down twice. It's that simple. What 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 what, what did we just? You know what? Nobody wants. We had a champ in what? Two medals at the juniors this year. I mean, how long has it been since we've got a junior national or junior world champion? Twenty years in Greco. It's been it was twenty years until this year. Yeah. Okay. Twenty three is what happened. Where Where are those guys? Yeah, when he got our butts kicked. Uh, but, but you know, where Where is that guy training? Where Where is he coming from? How do we get more guys training there? Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy to It's easy to talk about us being behind the eight ball and playing catch up to, to the Europeans who, who first of all live in close proximity to each other. And, and there are more class A feel of tournaments in Europe than there are anywhere else. Uh, you know, we used to have the Concord cup as a class A feel of tournament. We don't even have that, that anymore. Was for Greco. The tournament that we had. So, uh, I mean, that, that was a tough, tough tournament. Yeah. Uh, you have Russia, Cuba, uh, Ukraine. I mean, I can't even remember all Japan, I think, and Korea. I mean, that was a killer tournament, the Concord Cup. It, it, it depended on who showed up that year, but, but yeah, it was always, you know, Poland showed up a couple times. I mean, we, we had a lot of it. Yeah. That was our only Greco Class A tournament uh, yeah. in the whole country. So you had hot spots like Minnesota. You had the California Jets for a little while. We had our thing going on down in Phoenix with the Sunkissed Kids. Uh, yeah. You know, there weren't very many hot spots, very many places where you could get high quality partners and, and high quality coaching in Greco. So again, yeah, I, you know, in in '86, '87, when I was on the Army team, and, and my first tour in Europe was a three-stop tour. I showed up in Sweden first for the, for the Mahler Cup. Uh, and, and I honestly saw two 10-year-old Swedish boys at practice doing crap that I had no idea how to do. I went from there to Bulgaria to the Petrov and got my ass handed to me. And 
the next weekend we were we were in the Kolboten Cup up in up in Finland. Norway. Oh, Norway, Norway. Norway. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know I'm not sure I want to match the whole three weeks. It was an eye opener. But it motivated me. Number one, that being in the, on the Army team and where I was at, I had a ton of partners. I had a great coach. We were focused on Greco, and I think that showed in how we done, you know, did at the national level, and and I think ultimately led me, you know, to to being fairly successful at the international level. I didn't have the success that you had, Dennis, but you know, I don't know how, what do you attribute that to. Where, where, where was that? What what changed? You know, it was partners. Where man. did you get that? It it was partners. It was, you know, I, I I got sick of getting my ass kicked. You talk about getting your ass kicked all the time, and I just I just remember saying, I gotta stop. Either either I gotta start winning or I gotta get the hell out of the sport because it it sucks being poor and just getting your ass kicked nonstop. And then I, in 92, I started bringing guys over to train with, and, and that was a turning point. You know, when I re- was wrestling guys that were world medalists every single freaking day, you know what? You ain't got a choice but to get your head out of your ass and get down to business and, 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 and get better, you know? And I think part of it is, is we feel comfy when we're wrestling guys in the States that we can beat. Well, fuck, that doesn't matter, man. What matters is, are, are, are we going to, you know, represent our country as good as we can at the world championships? Every year I didn't medal, I felt like I let my world, uh, my country down, you know, and and that's a lot of damn times I let my country down. You know, it sucks. I was on three Olympic teams, got one Olympic medal, let them down twice. I was on seven world teams, and I got... Uh, two world championship medals. So what I let them down five times, plus the two in the Olympics. I let I let my country down seven times because I didn't get the job done. You know, and, and it sucks, man. Randy, I'm sure you have the same feeling when we'd come home from the world championships and we didn't, you know, maybe only one guy won a medal or or we didn't even win a medal, and and you hear how great freestyle is. I want to shove the freestyle. I want to shove the paper up somebody's ass. You know, they don't understand what we're dealing with. Yeah. No, it was frustrating. You know, Very I frustrating. Mean, no, Greco, know? Greco, Greco, Greco Roman wrestler so succeed in spite. Yeah. You succeed in spite of circumstances, I mean, Paul. In spite, not because. That's the difference, my opinion. The principal. Uh, observer of the sport in this country. I mean, that's what it is. Greco-Roman wrestlers in the United States succeed in spite of circumstances, not because of them. It's not an excuse. Um, well, that's the funny thing about the Greco community as a whole, I think, is that if Greco opens its mouth, it's all, everybody's whining, everybody's complaining. And then if Greco doesn't say anything, it's all, we're a bunch of pushovers, the sport, you know, the style's full of pushovers. You know what I mean? So it can't win. Like does then it's like you know you're either whining and making excuses or you you know what I mean like or or you don't care enough it's 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 just not fair it's a two strike situation it feels like almost all the time perception wise 
It is, and I, I'm just trying to do my part, Coach. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to get back into a uh, heavier-duty coaching role, um, or role, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, open to whatever's possibly out there and, and, and looking at my options as a Greco-Roman coach. I, I'm just, I'm, but there's not many jobs out there. And, and that's what sucks. I'm, you know, I don't know. I, it's frustrating. Um, I'm working with uh, Hooker and then a uh, guy that was on the 2008, I believe 2008 Olympic team from Denmark right now and uh, training with those guys every day, teaching them and, and blowing their minds with my thought process on my training and why I do the stuff I do and how, how, our whole system is backwards and, and things need to be taught differently just because of where we start in Greco-Roman wrestling. And it's frustrating. It's, it's, you know, I feel like I'm letting down the United States because I, I got the knowledge, but I, I'm poor. I, I, you know, I went through a divorce a few years back. Um, you know, I, I'm struggling. I, I got a great core uh, strength training program that nobody knows about, which could help me out. Um, you know, I, I'm, it, it's a frustrating part, man, because I feel I have a lot to offer these athletes and, you know, I, I can't pay any athletes in Stevens point to come up and train with me because I don't have the money myself. So it's, it's, it's an ass kicking in every way you look at it, but I'm trying to do what I can. And any athletes that want to come to Stevens Point and train in my facility, you're more than welcome to come. The gauntlet's been thrown down. <laughs> All right, let's run through some questions. Um, you know, uh, you know what? Here's a good one. Hall Hall had what? Like one fight? Didn't didn't win? Probably could have. Yeah. Probably should have. So. Uh, let, I have two things. Wait, 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 wait. Well, wait. In Mr. Couture's uber expert opinion, this is the question, is that if Hall, would Hall have been successful if he had now, just ignore, ignore, I mean, not ignoring, but not just because it, it takes more than being a, uh, a world-class wrestler. You have to be able to evolve, adapt. I mean, like, certainly like you were known for. So if, why would have Hall been successful? And conversely, what do you think, if he, let's say he were, was going to struggle, if he were to pursue a full-time MMA career, you know, back whatever decade and change ago, what would have been his downfall? Like, I mean, if you could just imagine, it's obviously hypothetical. I mean, the only thing well, is, he, I, he, I could see him being prone to mistake because of a fit of rage. Dennis and, I, Dennis, I, Dennis and I were teammates back then with the real real American wrestling team, Raw. Right. And you know, Rico. I, was, I was in camp when Dennis, when Dennis got ready for that fight in Japan. And, and honestly, we didn't know shit from Shinola. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And Dennis was in against a guy that had a ton of experience, certainly in, in submission grappling and and in you know in shoot fighting, which is what they call it over there. And uh, so, in a lot of ways, even though Dennis's wrestling background counts certainly in a competitive sense, he was in way over his head. 
in an MMA fight, in that, in that fight. That guy had way more experience than he had. But I believe in my heart, I know in my heart, that given the time uh, to, to properly train and evolve, to figure out how, how to implement his wrestling mindset and his wrestling technique into MMA situations, he, he would have absolutely been, been stellar in, in, in MMA. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, and I think unfortunately he got pushed into an event and, and in with a guy that was, he was in over his head right from the start. He never got a chance to really get his feet under him, but that's the way it was back then. It was the wild, wild west. There wasn't I mean, like rules. Every organization was doing a different thing and there was, was just no way to, it was, it was crazier back then. It was a different thing than it is now. But I know for a fact that, that he had the work ethic, he had the physicality. Greco of all the styles of wrestling fits into mixed martial arts better than a lot of the other wrestling styles because of the upright posture and the infighting, the clinch fighting that happens in mixed martial arts. Of all the styles, there's a lot of that that translates to putting you in positions to win fights. And I think the other style that applies very, very well to mixed martial arts situations is, is collegiate wrestling. Because collegiate's all about holding and controlling positions on the ground, and uh, and that's why a lot of those things—leg riding and, and you know seatbelt and ankle riding wrists and and doing a lot of those things that we do in collegiate wrestling—translates to MMA. There's no doubt in my mind, given the time to train and get up to speed and get into the appropriate fights, that Dennis would have been up to speed with all of that and been as successful as anybody else from the wrestling world. And I feel like he, he got pushed in over his head right from the jump. You know, the thing is, Randy, out in California, you guys had the opportunity. That, that's where it was actually starting to evolve in the United States. I mean, it, there wasn't nothing in Wisconsin. I, re, I remember coming out by you guys and training out there. And, you know, we're, we're in this old uh, garage with just a cage in there and it's makeshift cage and I'm I'm messing around with the guy that kind of knows what he's doing I guess and it, it was it was different it, it was raw and I only I think I had like five days worth of training out there before I ended up going over to uh, Japan you know like you said it but he, even during that fight I, I was halfway comfortable but you know, he, he caught me when I took a single leg and I couldn't put him up against the cage because it was a rope. You know, he just kind yeah. of fell down to the mat. And it, it, it was the transitions of not having wrestled in. I mean, we were practicing in the cage. You know, yeah. so, um, you know I, I would love I mean. to see we... what I could have done in that. You know, I, I, I admire you guys. I... I I can't tell you how many um, how many fights I bought with you and Dan, you know, and I love watching you guys. I get I get nervous as hell when you guys were fighting, and you know, I, I hope you guys uh, didn't get hurt. And you know, when you won or lost, I, I felt the pain for you guys, and I felt the happiness when you won. I'm like, yeah, f yeah, my teammate just won. It was cool, as shit, you know. Yeah. Well, I think that's an indication too, is exactly what I mean. And, you know, we hadn't really figured out the difference between being in a ring 
with ring ropes and, and being in a cage with a solid barrier and uh, the tactical differences in that and really how to apply the, the wrestling knowledge and the physicality that we have and mindset that we have as wrestlers to, to fighting situations, you know, five days. I mean, I mean, that's just crazy short amount of time to, to walk into a fight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I think I was nuts. <laughs> no. Yeah. Good times, though, I bet, right? Yeah, it was. It was, it was, was fun. Yeah, it was. We trained at the Thunder Center back then. Uh, Rico got us mat space, and, and I remember training. Yep. I felt like every time we trained, we we learned some new, you know, new technique or new position that was just like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. It was like so much fun to learn all this new stuff. And, the, you know, the improvements in the things that we were learning and doing in Greco that may or may not affect our next match were so minute. It was like this, you know, well, just change your grip to this and see if that helps, you know, you finish your lift or your gut wrench. It was so small and, I don't know, it was, it was like being a kid in a candy store, learning something new every single time you train. The, the Tito fight... Is I mean for me that's that's my um, personal favorite. You know, um, it's nothing personal against him, I suppose. Um, you know, it's just I don't know the, the that was the era in which that took place, 2003. I don't know, just the mood, uh, the way he was kind of perceived. I think at that time. Um, I mean, out of all the fights he he ever had, even after that, and that that he wound up that he might have lost. He was never beaten so thoroughly the way he was against you. It wasn't I mean he might have gotten KO'd after that, but he he was never really in that fight against you. When you look back at that now, does that one hold a special place in your heart? I mean it does for me. I I, I mean I'll even go back and watch every now and again if I think of it. That 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 that's certainly on the list. Um I had a couple fights like that where uh, I was again a serious underdog. Uh, most of the time because of my age, uh, being an old, you know, starting fighting at 34s, you know, puts you kind of in that situation, in that seat. And I kind of thrived in that underdog seat anyway. But certainly going into the Tito fight, I was, again, an, an underdog that nobody really thought was going to win that fight. And, and in my mind, technically and tactically, it broke down to, to wrestling. Who was going to out-wrestle the other guy? Yeah, we both had striking ability. We worked hard on making that part of our fight game. But we won our fights, him and I both, by, by being able to take somebody down and take them out of that striking realm. We used our striking enough to get where we needed to be to force them to wrestle. You look at Tito's fights, 90% of the fights that he won, he won by taking a guy down and establishing that top position. And he was a bitch to get out from underneath of after that. I, I analyzed that right away. I thought, this comes, this is a wrestling match. And, and he didn't, you know, he kind of poo-pooed that, that comment when I made it, but it was oh, he said this is way. ultimate fighting. He said this isn't wrestling. This yeah. is fighting. Ultimate fighting. I remember yeah, the promo. And I, and I was like, you know what? This is going to come down. Who's able, who's able to go out and establish that dominant top position? And, and that's how that fight broke down. And you know, all five rounds, I managed to secure the takedowns. I scrambled my butt off in that first round for over two minutes, bound and determined not to give up a takedown to him against the fence and everything. And, and ultimately ended up on top in the scramble. Uh, I don't think he ever broke, to be honest. I felt him kind of, kind of this inner turmoil he was having because he was getting dominated. 
but he never broke. He never like sacked it up and gave it in, uh, gave it up. Um, but it, it was, it was certainly uh, one of my favorite fights. And I think because he was the first guy to kind of be the bad boy, to run his mouth, to kind of hype himself that way, the kind of generation X people loved him. And there was a whole bunch of people that wanted to see him get his butt kicked too. So, uh, he, he was smart that way. He, he used that as a marketing tool to continue to remain a marquee name, you know, until he retired just last year. So, uh, you know, kudos for him. I, I, I had personal conversations with him where I, I know that living up to that persona that he created was, was a burden for him. He kind of hated to have to be that guy all the time because he generally is a, a pretty nice guy. You know, he comes from the wrestling world too. He wrestled at Bakersfield and, you know, he's had his ups and downs in the sport of wrestling, uh, d- just like we have. So uh, I think, you know, that's something we shared. I think we had a mutual respect for each other because of that. I'm going to go one more from, from uh, I think I have two more, unless Hall wants to jump in. But um, you did commentary. You did, did now, this was, I believe, what, it was, was this 2006? Um you did commentary for Tim Sylvia, Jeff Monson. And I mean, maybe this is a leap. Um, I don't know, but I remember watching it live and by your comments during that fight, it seemed to me like you saw the way Monson was competing. And once again, it's not a diss, but you saw holes that he might not have been exploiting, whatever you want to say. And that watching that fight helped lure you out of retirement seeing that and knowing you could do everything Monson probably wanted to and couldn't. Is that at all even vaguely accurate? Uh, that's, there's actually some truth to that. Uh, I, that was at Arco Arena in Sacramento. It was the first show in Sacramento. I was on the commentary team. And and watching the Monson-Tim Sylvia fight was, was a lot like watching paint dry or grass grow. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, pretty <laughs> slow. Single leg and sprawl, yeah. Uh, and and it, and it was a couple of weeks later that that one of my buddies from from the old team Quest Gym came to Vegas uh, for his birthday, and we went out to sushi and we're talking about the fights and talking about that fight and just how how painful it was to to watch how slow that fight was for five rounds and and uh and he's like, man, you. Should, he had been harassing me for a few months. You need to come out of retirement and fight the giant. You need to fight the giant. And, and, uh, and so I had sent to Dana just horsing around, you know, drinking sake and eating sushi, sent Dana a text that night saying, yeah, that, you know, that I, I could beat both of those guys, you know, no problem. And they didn't text me back. He called me immediately. <laughs> He's like, are you serious? He's like, we'll bring you out. We'll put, we'll put you in a title fight. And, and literally three weeks later, that fight was signed. So, uh, the, the, you know, I obviously knew Tim very well. He lived with me for three weeks in Oregon, uh, trained at, at Team Quest. I trained with him, you know, twice a day, day in and day out for, for you know, a few weeks there and, and got to know him, kind of knew where his strengths were and where, where the potential holes were in his game and felt like I matched up very, very well with him, even though he was such a big guy. And, uh, and also kind of seeing the transition that he, you know, he kind of went from, you know, going out there fighting to win a fight to, to kind of this mentality where he was going out and fighting not to lose. 
was a completely different kind of mindset for him. And, and I think some of that came from, from losing the fight to Arlovsky in that second go round, uh, you know, where, where, you know, fighters sometimes have trouble getting over that hurdle, that mental hurdle after they've lost a fight, after they've gotten caught. And I also knew that psychologically Tim was one of those guys kind of like Tito that needed to, generate heat he needed to generate animosity by running his mouth and because we were friends he was going to have some trouble doing that with me he wasn't going to be able to call me a bunch of names and say what a douchebag dirtbag fighter i was because we were actually friends uh which was something he had to do to get himself psyched up to go out there and fight to do his job so i felt like i had a few advantages going into that fight and it turns out Turns out I was, you know, I, my my estimates were were accurate. I want to fight Hall. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Uh, hey, think, well, you'll have you'll have you your chance. Put some pay per view. Well, I mean, I always like envisioned like a like let's say you and I could have like a match, like for like, I mean, nobody cares about me. Like I'm, I'm just completely insignificant compared to you. You know, I mean, I'm a writer. Nobody cares if I do anything. (laughs) I just want to beat the piss out of you for all your dumb comments. Yeah, I know, man. You'll get your chance one day. You'll get your chance. I'm just wrapping up, um, at least on this side of the glass. Linland mentioned this to me. Um, I don't know. So I I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty curious. Um, I, and you were somehow involved in this on the periphery, at least. Is uh, a Gafari um, locking him in a hotel room so Russians didn't come after him? Something like that? Uh, I don't, yes. Yeah. If you if you know it, please I share. I don't know. I mentioned it. that uh, I mentioned that we had we had gone from uh, from the uh, World Championships to the World Cup, and then we went to Moscow and trained for a couple of weeks, and then we went up to Novosibirsk. Siberia to wrestle in the first Karelin Cup. And we were the only foreign team invited. And the only reason we were really invited was because Gafari was really the only heavyweight in the world that would actually try to wrestle Karelin. A lot of those guys would just, you know, flop over and let him let him pin them. Uh, you know, Matt had been a silver medalist to Karelin on two occasions. Uh, so, so we got invited so that, you know, obviously they were anticipating that Matt and Corellan would end up in the finals. And they worked pretty diligently with the referees and everything else to keep the rest of us out of the medals. Uh, not that it wasn't a tough tournament because it was all Russian competitors. It was the toughest shit. Uh, and Matt was in a match that would have, you know, we're all scouting, using videotape, watching who potentially might come out of matches and how guys were scoring and, you know, doing our scouting reports and things that we did as part of the Greco team. Uh, and I'm watching Matt through a camera as he's wrestling this Russian. And if he wins the match, he's going to get into the bronze medal round. And and he's on top and he's trying to gut wrench this guy and he's not having much luck. And then all of a sudden this guy just gives it up and, and Matt turns him twice and I'm like, what the hell just happened? And so I rewind the, the tape, and I'm looking at it, and I see Matt reach up and grab this kid's thumb and just yank it back. More than likely broke it, but 
yarded this kid's thumb back. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he gave up the gut wrench and, and won the match. You know, this kid stands up holding his hand like, you know, son of a bitch, you dirty little bastard. And he starts pointing to these guys in the stands. And these five guys stand up in the middle of the stands. And they start coming down to the mat. And Matt sees them coming. And Gafari and, and Anatoly take off. And Matt takes off and gets ahead of him and runs all the way to our locker room. We had our, we were the only team that had our own <laughs> locker room because we're the only porn team there. And Linlid locks himself in the locker room. So these five guys can't get to him. It was crazy. Wait, are these like, like Russian mob type guys? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I've never heard that. It was crazy. So then, you know, Matt Gafari ends up in the finals. He loses to Corellin in the finals. I think Corellin did get a reverse lift on him and scored. It didn't pin Matt. It went the distance. Uh, So, you know, it kind of unfolded how the Russians were hoping it would unfold. Uh, I I believe Malinland actually did win a bronze medal in, in that tournament. He was the only one other guy on our team that medaled. And then, uh, so these Russian guys invite Matt Gafari and Matt Lindland to go out afterwards. And because I was rooming with, with Gafari, uh, I got asked to go with them. So we go out. We're going to go to this restaurant. These guys put us in this Toyota Land Cruiser that was like top of the line, had the cattle guard on the front and, you know, the big four door Toyota Land Cruiser. And it's snowing in, in Siberia. So we pile in. Me, Linlin, and Gafari in the back seat, and here in the front seat is that that wrestler with the broken thumb <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a driver that's taking us somewhere. And I'm like, oh, we are going to be killed tonight. This, this is not going to be good. But they made up. They, they, they shook each other's hands, and, and it was all cool. They took us out, fed us, and uh, it, it was a pretty unique trip. <laughs> Uh, that oh, is that's, great. that's fantastic. I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, it was pretty, you, pretty crazy. Couldn't write that. That's a good one. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad that was as good as I was hoping it was going to be. I mean, just like to be just that was the premise. He was like, ah, you know what? Ask him this. You know, like he didn't give me any details, <laughs> so I was just like, all right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God we had a Russian coach that could understand those guys and and kind of talk them down and kind of talk Matt out of that so he could get out of the locker room or he might still be in the locker room today. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, do you have anything, uh, anything you want to throw on the table here before we wrap up? I just want to say I'm proud of Randy for everything he's done. He's uh, he's a great ambassador for the sport of Greco-Roman wrestling. Always, does what he can to help the program out and uh you know he supports it he's he's passionate about greco and and uh we need more guys like him um you know i wish him the best in all that he does and and uh you know just look forward to hanging with him once in a while it and i i thank you randy for taking the time i know you've been a good friend to me uh when i was going through some tough times you 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 take a call from me and uh you know, you're just a great man on and off uh, the mat and out in and out of the ring. So, 
thanks. Keep it up and uh, keep doing what you do best, man. And that's being a great person. Well, thanks, Dennis. I appreciate that, man. And it's nice talking to both of you. It's been a fun conversation. And it was definitely our pleasure and privilege to have Randy Couture join us for episode number 11. You can follow Randy on Twitter at Randy underscore Couture. He's also on Instagram. That is at XCNatch. X-C-N-A-T-C-H. We all know Hall is also on Twitter, despite the fact he refuses to use it appropriately. Follow him just the same. Try to motivate him. Try to get him engaged. Brighten his day. Send him warm wishes. Memes. He likes memes. Follow Hall. That is at Dennis Hall WGW. And of course, follow Five Point Move. That is at 5PT Move. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.